Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. We are glad to have you here. Remarkable that we are already in the second week of Advent. Christmas is literally just a couple of weeks away. Am I the only one that finds that astonishing? Like it felt weird that we started Advent last week uh, singing Christmas carols, but not, that is December. We are in the full swing, people. And so uh, we are really trying as a church to slow down, to notice what's happening, to observe uh, that this season matters for the church as Christmas celebrates the birth and Easter celebrates the death and resurrection. These are the signature moments uh, and the, just the flow of the Christian calendar, and it gets so busy, so chaotic, so many things going on. We want you to slow down with us and just pay attention to what we know about Christ coming and about Him coming again. So second week of Advent uh, on our way. We've named this series Scandal, God Was Born, because we want to admit from the get-go, uh, this is a scandalous story. It is one that is inherently hard to believe. It is amazing, it's astonishing to say that God was born into humanity, into his own creator, into creation, uh, as a baby in Bethlehem, Israel, 2,000 years ago. That is a particularly scandalous thing to say. It is a scandal of the particular uh, he was born to a Jewish virgin in an otherwise inconsequential village. And other than the fact that I and many of you have banked our lives on what I just said being true, we as Christians better admit that's hard to believe on the first hearing. That God, he knew when he did this, he wasn't doing the obvious thing. That when we say, hey, the creator of all things was born a baby in the middle of nowhere. Uh, God knew that that was, a, that was an astonishing thing that helpful if Christians recognize that when we say that, for many people, if you say God was born as a baby in Israel, they're like, oh, that's a fun magic story. Thanks for sharing. Right? Like it, it, their, their natural inclination is to be incredulous. And I think by the way, I think that's what makes it fantastic. I hope that you find me saying all morning that since it wasn't the norm and since it is so powerful, this is part of its credibility. But I think it helps us in the conversation with people to say, you're right, uh, this would be hard to believe except for the fact if you study Jesus's life, he absolutely proved himself. He is a historically verifiable person who proved himself by his life by his miracles, most importantly, by his death and resurrection. He promised he would die, and as the linchpin of his promises, he was resurrected from the dead, thereby giving him the credibility to say, what I'm going to tell you about all the rest of the story is true. Like, we have to admit, we put all our eggs in the basket of him having historically lived, died, and resurrected. It is that truth that gives us the confidence to believe in all of the other truths. And you can add to that this immense movement that has come out of this truth. 
that the baby born in the middle of nowhere has created an unparalleled movement of the good news. There are billions of Christians, literally unparalleled in religion, both from its source and its power, from its transformation. There are billions of miracles and billions of testimonies and stories and missional work, the miracles of the collected work of Jesus Christ. And so we say at the same time, uh, this is this provable historical fact that we believe we have put our faith in, but we recognize that it's, we've named it scandal. Uh, we recognize uh, that it is a scandalous thing. It's okay, well, what we want to say is, if you're here and you're kind of checking out Christianity or you're a skeptic and somebody has drugged you here, which happens, welcome, by the way, uh, and you're thinking, mm-hmm, uh-huh, right? I think that we want to say it's okay to ask questions. It's okay for this story to hit you that way. Uh, we have found that the claims of Christianity can withstand our scrutiny. We have asked the hard questions ourselves. This is a scandal, but it is a historically verifiable one. It is a scandal filled with love and truth and power and grace and sacrifice, and it actually happened. And I think that even the staunchest skeptic has to admit that it's an interesting question. In other words, if this story is true, and I get that you're not naturally inclined to believe it, but if this story is true, God was born into humanity as a baby, proved it, it changes everything about everything else. If the story is true, then everything that we believe about who God is, what he looks like, what matters to him, who we are, what the value of our life is, how time and space move, everything about us is different if that's true. Like this is a game-changing truth about reality. So at the very least, it makes it interesting to ask the questions. And so we created this little four-week series, and we thought we'd just kind of like scratch the surface of the scandal of the particular as it relates to Jesus. And we certainly can't you know, answer all the questions. We could spend a year uh, unpacking all of the fascinatingly scandalous things about saying Jesus was born as a baby to a Jewish virgin in Bethlehem. Uh, but we're only going to focus on a few. All surrounding his birth, the scandal of the time, that he was born in a particular time, that he was born to a particular people, that he was born to a particularly scandalous family, and the scandal of his birth at all, which is the greatest uh, scandal among them. So last week when we started Advent, Tim uh, took us through the first scandal. He was born into a particular time, which both makes a specific claim, a precision claim about who he is, uh, where he fits into time, but as Tim argued, also says something about time itself, that it redeems time from what he called the chronos. It's a good Greek word that means the tick-tock world of time, checklists and things to get done, and switches it to kairos, which is redeemed time or sacred time. And time is a gift to be lived and to be enjoyed and to be utilized and invested, that Jesus took a hold of time by becoming part of time and made that shift. And this morning we look at what did he do in the same way when he took hold of people. Like, I, I can't begin to imagine all the ways God could have imagined redeeming humanity. I just know the way he chose was the most beautiful, the most spectacular, the most unexpected, the most scandalous that he would become part of his people. 
I, I, again, I, I can't get into the mind of God. We can't take off on a whole argument of the necessity, but that he chose to do it this way as an act of self-sacrifice is the most astound, astounding declaration of love, isn't it? And of sacrifice. He says something about peoplehood that he chose to become a person and belong to a specific group of people. And the Bible is super clear about Jesus that he was born an ethnic Jew into a Jewish family. And with that, so we have to ask that question of his people. There's no escape uh, for who he is. Jesus is Jewish, born to Jews into a particularly Jewish family of the tribe of David. And we've been using Luke 1 and 2 as our kind of our source material for unpacking these particular, these precision claims of Jesus. And this morning, I want to back it up just a little bit to Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 28. And this is when Mary is finding out, this young Jewish virgin is finding out how she would become the mother of God. Like, can you just stop right there on scandal? These are the things that we get used to saying as Christians that I think you have to hear with a new ear. And so, listen to Gabriel, everything about it. And so an angel that she could see and talk to showed up and told her this. In the sixth month of her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Luke inserting all these important historical facts. A Jew. That virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son And you are to call him Jesus, in Hebrew, Yeshua Mashiach, Yeshua the Messiah. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him his throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will have no end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, which is a great question, Since I am a virgin and this promise is great. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. His cousin, John the Baptist, who pronounced him. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month already, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So here we are left with a a question and a fact that we must wrestle with. Jesus, born a Jew to a human virgin mother. And when we think about the particular scandal of the people, the question is, why a Jew? 
Like, why Jewish? Why are we sitting in the most northwest part of America that you can get, uh, worshiping a 6,000-year-old Israeli deity? I mean, maybe you would ask that. I mean, most religions seem to them to be pocketed. You know, there's Mesopotamian religions and Eastern religions. Why are we invested in worshiping, choosing, uh, loving, and finding ourselves participating in the life of this Jewish God? Jewish religion, Jewish savor, this Messiah, Yeshua, Mashiach, that seems awfully particular to me. Uh, maybe he should have sent it to everybody, you know, but why did he choose just this one people? Was there something cosmic uh, about Jews that meant God had to choose, God had to be Israeli? Why choose them? And I have a profound answer for you, which is I have no idea. Uh, like, I do not know why. I just know that before he created the world, he already chose it would be a Jewish hero. He's the lamb slain before time. So before he did anything, he knew who Jesus would be and how it would come about. He had already, so we must cope with this Jewishness no matter what. Now, could he have been any other people group? Sure. I mean, I don't know why he chose uh, Jewish. And uh, I'm, I'm willing to open the door. I think there's a good argument that can be made for like an early people group an early Mesopotamian people who were, you know, the start of creation. Uh, but I'm willing to say he could have been Chinese, Italian, Iraqi, or Polish, and it would change everything. If he were Chinese, then we would learn Mandarin and we would invest ourselves in knowing China better, right? Uh, the point is that God chose this people group, so we must wrestle with his Jewishness. And I don't know why he chose the Jews, but let me talk for a moment about what we do know about Jesus being Jewish. Now, the first point I want to make seems simple, but it is a key idea that shifts the idea in some people's mind. It's really simple. He had to be some people. Uh, people always say to me like, well, that seems awfully particular that he'd be born to one people. Yeah. So being born means you're born to one people. There is no universal human group, Right. So no matter who he was, if part of the plan of him being born, it means he had to be born to some people. So then it makes absolute sense that the Bible would be focused from that moment on, on those people. It is not as though God said, you know, more among all the peoples that I have made, I gave the Jewish people some extra glory. In fact, from my reading of it, he gave them an extra powerful burden to carry. But he said, these are my people, and so this is the story that we will follow. I just want to say, people are like, well, you know, there were lots of other things going on in the world. Why just the story of the Jews? Can you imagine if we tried to tell all the other stories? I mean, the, the Bible is about everybody right up through Genesis 11. Common parentage, common groups. And then at uh, chapter 12 of Genesis, it starts telling the story of Abraham. Why? For the sake of Jesus, if it's going to tell Jesus' story and he has to be born to one people, then his family line must be the silver thread that runs through all of humanity. I mean, just pause for a moment. Imagine if the Bible tried to tell the rest of the story. I can't hardly get people to read this book. I can't even imagine if it was like, meanwhile, in China, <laughs> it would be this big. 
friends, it has to tell the story of one people. It is untenable to tell the story of all peoples. I don't know why he chose this people, but it had to be some people. And so that is the reason our hearts and minds are connected to the Jewish people. Because the heart and mind and body of our Savior is connected to him. I have no bias towards that people group other than that is the people that God chose. And so it had to be some people. And so we have to understand those people. Uh, a second really interesting point for me, and I, I, there, I'm so careful with this, and I know that there are people of Jewish descent here, and I, I'm in Israel all the time. I, lo- I have a profound love for this country uh, and its people, and there were some Messianic uh, Jewish believers in Yeshua Mashiach in our first service. And so I want you to receive this point with love as somebody who feels grafted in Uh, to the people of Israel, but this helps me answer, why did God choose Jewish people? I'm going to tell you, because God has a distinct bias towards choosing the unexpected and unlikely. Read his book. Uh, He loves, he always does what you don't expect. You shall choose the firstborn. I'll take the second one. He's always choosing the one that you don't, uh, uh, how about the other one? I'll choose the one that you didn't. I think I'll run it through the line of the prostitute that you guys found in that city. I think I'll put Ruth into his family line. I think I'll take the second son instead of the first son. I think I'll take the outsider instead of the insider. I think I'll take the fisherman over the scholar. The fact that God chose to have the Messiah of the world born a Jewish boy in the middle of nowhere is just perfect. It's so like him. It's like he went out of the way and said, I am really just going to make it super duper clear that I did this. He could have chosen from like the great Rome or Persia or Iraq or Greece or Assyria from a great royal family. He's like, "Eh, I think I'm going to go peasant from nowhere, from a long line of peasants and nomads and slaves. You're going to take a slave nation. You're going to kind of send them off and not develop them into much. And then that's where the Messiah comes from. Yep, I think that's my plan, right? So that his point is made centrally, my people, my plan, my unfolding. Uh, When people get called into ministry, they'll often say, gosh, I feel like I might have these gifts for ministry. I'm like, well, hey, well, newsflash to you. That might not work out. If you get called into ministry, it's probably because there's something profoundly wrong with you. Uh, Because he's want to make the point, it's not you. Like, you don't really want to get to know me is what I'm saying. All of us, he loves to make this point. And so there was a short period of time in which Israel had this kind of peak of greatness under King David and Solomon. It was short-lived, about 150 years. But by and large, they have been the second, the last, the persecuted, and the dismissed. From their ranks, many fine scholars and history writers have come. They've always been chief among poets and writers of history and knowers of the one true God, but not in architecture or power or finance or any other things that we respect. I just love it that from the low and forcibly lowered people of Israel comes the greatest ruler of all, Jesus. Why Jews? Because he's making a point. I think the third and really interesting one is now... Because we're saying he was born a Jew, we must own this. We don't get to unethnic Jesus. By the way, do you know how hard it is to find a non-white baby Jesus for our pictures that we posted here? (laughs) Go look at art where he's got blonde hair and blue eyes. I'm like, on what planet? He's, He's Jewish. 
They're a little shy on the blonde hair and blue eyes. We To know him and to understand him and to love him and to appreciate him means to love and appreciate and understand Israel. They're ours. Like we are grafted into that family. And so to know Jesus, you must understand him as a Jew. Everything about his arrival and our salvation is tied up in the story of the Jews, that singular thread. Jesus is only the total fulfillment of all of his promises to the world through the Jews. All of his promises to us, to you, to me, to America, to Europe, to Asia, to Africa and China, where the gospel is exploding, all those promises come through this tiny and inconsequential nation in the middle of nowhere, like a nowhere squared. And here he has taken this people, and we must understand him that way. That's why we go back and read the Old Testament. That's why we follow the line of the Jews. Uh, My wife's sitting right here. She's like, sometimes why must we read these ancient land promises that are in Joshua? This is a snooze fest. Agreed at times, (laughs) because it's their story. Their promise, why did he follow this line? Why promise the land? Why make these things happen? Because it's all unpacking something about the one that we're looking for. It's the thread that tells us who Jesus is. To understand, and we have to read the whole thing. By the way, the entire Old Testament was always straining towards Jesus. The task of the Old Testament is not to tell you the history of Israel. These are the statements that get me in trouble. It is not primarily a historical book. It is historical. Its task is to reveal Jesus Christ. Its whole thing, the whole Old Testament is straining towards Jesus. That's why we follow this line. Uh, From the beginning, from the very first lines of the Bible, it's always been about Jesus. He says this later in the New Testament. He tells some friends, the whole Old Testament was about me. And they're like, no way. And then he explained it, and nobody recorded those words. Thank you very much. But the whole Old Testament points towards him. Uh, we started our Advent readings last week, and Tim, uh, as he put the readings together, started it with Genesis 3.15, and many people were like, hey, thanks for that bummer way to start the reading of the Bible about the serpent and the fall. Uh, and both Tim and I, because we are nerds, think that is the most hopeful scripture in the entire Old Testament. Because from those first moments, Genesis 3.15 is called the Proto-Evangelium. Isn't that good? It means the early or the nascent or the just being born, the proto-embryonic good news. For in one sentence, while God is cursing the devil, he is whispering the promise of Jesus. He says, yes, uh, you have power now and you will injure humanity, but from the woman will come a singular seed hero who will crush your head. It's an extraordinary sentence in which he says, from a woman will come the singular seed Jewish hero that saves the world. By the way, seed from the woman, the writer knows he's writing something that doesn't make sense. Everywhere else it's seed from the man, right? So he's saying, from a woman will come a singular hero, from the seed of a woman will come a singular hero who will save the world. Already from the first moments of the Old Testament, it's pointing at Jesus. The primary work of the Old Testament becomes unpacking his story. Have you ever wondered in Genesis 6 when God wipes humanity off the earth because sin has become so prolific and so early and so uncontainably destroys everybody but eight people? Why? 
so that he can preserve this line. He has made a promise that from Eve will come this hero who will be a singular seed. I've made that promise. I will fulfill it through these people. By the time you get to Genesis 12, when we break off into the specific story of Abraham, God looks at Abraham and says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Genesis 12, Genesis 26, Genesis 15, a couple other repeated points. But every time he says it, he says, Abraham, I will make your people great, the Jews, but from you will come a singular offspring, a hero who will save the whole world. My story is both about the Jews whom I've chosen and about the hero who will come from you. It says, from you will come the singular seed, that same language that will be a blessing to every people and every nation. By Genesis 15, God is using a vision to show Abraham that his plan for salvation through this promised hero will include God paying the penalty for sin and not humanity paying the penalty for sin. By Genesis 22, he's showing Abraham that this hero who will pay the penalty for sin won't be Abraham's son, but it will be God's son. By the end of Genesis 22, the first few chapters of the Bible, you almost have the entire gospel already, that the promised Jewish hero will pay the penalty for sin, the very son of God. In Exodus chapter 12, as the people are leaving Egypt, they're fleeing Pharaoh. Everybody knows the let my people go, right? Never sing again. Uh, <laughs> uh, in that moment, God is sowing these important ideas. With our, do you guys remember the Passover lamb? So they kill a lamb and they put its blood on the doorposts and lintels and the angel of death comes through and it's finally what allows them to escape. I mean, all the images are there, right? Into the promised land, into hope. And God sows that in for 1,500 years uh, into the idea of who God is so that when Jesus comes, John the Baptist looks at him and says, there is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus refers to himself as the sacrificial lamb. And then 1,500 years later, he perfectly answers this Israeli promise. Did you know that during the Passover, when Jesus went to give himself to be crucified, on the 10th day of the first month, which is the day of Passover that they select the lamb that will pay the penalty, Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the lamb of God. On the 14th day of the first month, when they sacrificed the lamb for the sins of the people, that is the day Jesus was crucified as the sacrificial lamb of Israel and the promise for all of us. He has constantly been the answer for everybody through the Jewish people. Even the great King David was really about the great King Jesus. David himself knew it. He would write about his greater son that would come from his line. He said, my greater son will live forever and his kingdom will go on forever. Now, I don't know what he thought about Solomon, but he didn't think he would live forever. Uh, David constantly saw through the range of time to the coming of Jesus. And Jesus himself on the cross reaches back, grabs the word of Psalms 22 written by David and used, they come out of his mouth in his crucifixion. The prophets speak of him and write with him with clarity. Ezekiel and Daniel practically describe him. We just heard the words of Isaiah that describe the servant who would come in the 52nd chapter of the same book, an almost perfect description of who Jesus is. The whole Bible is straining towards this Jesus hero who is a Jewish baby born in Bethlehem, that he literally and exactly fulfills that promises. 
350 individual promises given to the people of Israel were fulfilled by one human being, one Jewish man who was the Savior for all. Jesus is the total fulfillment of God's promises to the whole world through the Jews. And so I think it, it, it raises an interesting question for us. And certainly, if the question of the skeptic is, who is Jesus, you must wrestle with this particularity of this question. But for all of us, it says something that he decided to enter into humanity, that he decided to become a particular kind of people born to one people to redeem all people. Did you hear Merezu and Chinomso say that? From one people when they did the Advent reading to all people. And it does something spectacular, I think, for persons, people, and all people. Like it did with time, it says, I care about the person, I care about the people, but they all belong to my people. In other words, there is a great collection that is identified as his people that includes all the people inside without destroying the lovely diversity of people that he created. He has not created a homogenous blob of people. He loves all the ways that he has created diversity of people. He says, every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to gather around my throne. They will not all look the same. I love them as a people, but they will all be mine. Their commonality will be their unity in me. It seems to me that we are in a season uh, in our country and around the world where people feel threatened, and because they feel threatened, they are increasingly defining themselves by their people. These are my people, and since I have my people, all other people are potential enemies. Different religion than me, enemy. Different skin color than me, enemies. Oh, absurd. (laughs) Different ethnicity, different nation than me, potential enemy. One of the ones that cracks me up is I am literally allowed to hate a stranger for liking a different sports team. I mean, literally, I don't have to know him. I can just think, you're an idiot because you like that. You watch people talk in that language. It is the otherness of them is permission to despise them. And we see nations separating and peoples separating and us treating people differently we meet in the street because we have defined ourselves primarily by the little group of people that we belong to. Blue eyes, brown eyes, black, white, American, Arab, Chinese, whatever people group that they are, I think the spectacular message of Jesus is you go ahead and be those people as long as you understand you all belong to my people. He said, I choose the people Israel and I love Israel. We don't get it as modern Christians, we don't get to discount Israel now. We are grafted into a tree, forever united to a people. Uh, They're ours because he loved the particularity of those people, and he loves that they all belong to our people. He said to Abraham, I will make your nation great, and I will bless all the nations of the earth. Jesus loves people and persons. I think he just loves diversity. Remember the song, Jesus loves... No, don't sing. I already made that agreement. But it was... Right? Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Not I all turn them into one big thing. Have you you seen 
these videos, one of the experiments I love, because it's getting, it's getting more and more difficult to figure out who your people are. Have you seen the videos where they uh, bring a group of people in, they let them find their differences, and then they do a DNA test on them? Oh, man, I love these. Because I love to say people go, well, those aren't my people, and they're wrong. They'll actually end up saying some awful things. That nation over there, that is there, made up of animals and barbarians. They're less than human. Why? Because they're other. They're the other ones. And then they run a DNA test. And the beauty of this DNA test is that you find out we're all a hodgepodge. So somebody says, well, I'm not those people because those people are broken. And then they run the DNA test and go, well, actually, you're about 25% those people. And they have to break through this idea of our commonality, our unity. If you haven't seen the video, go find it. It's powerful to see people opened up to being okay to have a people and belong to a greater thing. I think it's okay to have, you are my people. I don't feel the same way about the church down the street that I do about you. You are my people. I don't need to know the Presbyterians as well as I know you. I'm sure they're fine people. You're my people and it's okay for us to collect as a people. But the message of Jesus is his people are greater than any collection that I can define as my people. His people are the greatest definition. Before I am, I I tried to do that. Have you done Ancestry.com to find out who you are? I knew I was Swedish, sort of. Uh, So I'm like Swedish and French and French Canadian and German and a European mutt, basically. I am made up of nations that have at other times killed each other because the other one was different. In my own self. So that before I'm American, Swedish, Assemblies of God, non-sports fan, I am first Christian, united to the people of God across every tribe and tongue and nation, every people, every look, every ethnicity. We are the church, as Marisa said. We are the people of God. The skeptic here this morning, I just want to say, you don't have to believe in Jesus, but you got to wrestle with the facts. You could not have manufactured this. The books have not been changed. It's historically proven. He is the perfect fulfillment of an impossible recipe of promises from the beginning of time. You have to handle the raw facts of God having orchestrated something that is otherwise ridiculously impossible. His particularity isn't just his scandal. It's the proof that he is who he said he is. And to the church of believers, I say, we must confess our unnecessary division. We must celebrate the diversity of every tribe, tongue, and nation assembled as his people. We must lay down minor divisions and heal the large ones. Resist the urge to create simplified and generalized identities of other people. It is where evil springs from. I know that Jesus chose a people to save a people and that his people is always greater than my people. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m. 